Well, it is our privilege again to have Pastor Roland Hammett, his wife, Allison, their family with us. I was able to say all their names one time. I'm not going to try that twice. <laughs> I think I got them all down, though. But, but anyway, it is a blessing to have them here with us. Appreciate the message this morning and looking forward to what he has for us this afternoon as well. All joking aside, I can't remember my kids' names half the time. <laughs> They're used to getting called each other's names because I usually go through a list before I get it right. I think that's just a dad thing, but uh, would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Evidently, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll be over there in just a moment, and appreciate your kind attention to the preaching this morning. Trust that the message this afternoon will be a blessing and a help to you. And over the course of this week, Lord willing, as the Lord directs my attention want to be a help and an encouragement to your church family in, in regards to this task which God has given to us, the, the task of taking the gospel to the world. And I think I mentioned to you uh, this morning that our, our church, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, is um, a missions-minded church, and it has been that way for as long as I can remember. And I'm very grateful to be a part of a church with that kind of a heart. And, of course, um, a lot of that was due to the time that my dad was there as pastor, his emphasis, and then God called him and my mom to go to the mission field, and, and uh, we're, we're thankful for that heritage, and we look forward to the days ahead, what God will do. And so we just want to try to challenge you this week about uh, some things, and perhaps the Lord will use the messages this week in, in that regard to hone your focus as a church and to challenge you perhaps in some areas that uh, you, you haven't thought of or to open some doors of opportunity before you. First Corinthians chapter 3, this afternoon I want to speak to you for just a few moments about some laws of spiritual work. And if you know much about the context of the book of First Corinthians, Paul was writing to a group of believers who were carnal. They were, uh, because of allowing the flesh to rule in their individual lives, they were, as a church, really in a place where they were fussing and fighting with each other. And there was a lot of personality conflict that was going on in the church at Corinth. In fact, a lot of times, you know, when we read about the church at Corinth, we, we talk about all the things that we don't want a church to be. And yet, it's also a good reminder to us that it was a church, that God regarded it as a church. Even with all of its problems, God regarded it, and Paul regarded it that way. But there was some personality conflicts that were going on. There was schism, and there was controversy that centered around personalities. And there were people who said, well, I, I'm of Paul. I follow Paul. I'm of Apollos. I, I'm of Cephas. I follow the Lord. Those are the spiritual ones. You know, they, they just... They uh, wouldn't declare their, their loyalty to anyone. And, and in the midst of all this, the church members were fighting with one another, and Paul was writing to rebuke them. And so here in 1 Corinthians 3, that's the first couple verses where he's talking to them about their carnality and, and their fleshly carnal thinking that was keeping them from experiencing the spiritual growth that God wanted them to be experiencing in their individual lives. And then as a church... They were being hindered in that way. But now in, in the next paragraph, the second paragraph really here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's what we're going to take as our text today, verses 5 through 8. Paul jumps off of that theme, and now he begins to talk about 
the way that work gets done in the kingdom of God and in a New Testament church. And there's some laws here which I think are so helpful and, and hopefully will be a good reminder to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 5, Paul asks a question, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. When we think about the work that God is in the midst of doing in his kingdom, and through his true churches, it's an amazing thing to think about what God is accomplishing. And I, that's what I want to talk about for just a little bit this afternoon and try to encourage you and help you. I have four thoughts that I want to share with you this afternoon. And first of all, in verse number five, is this law, this truth, that your identity is found in Christ. And you say, okay, what, what do you mean by that, preacher? Your identity is found in Christ. Well, what I mean to say, and I believe what Paul is driving at in verse number five, is this, that if we are not careful, we begin to find our identity in our accomplishments. We begin to find our identity in our occupation. We begin to find our identity in some form of a position that we may hold And we have to be so cautious because our identity as believers is found in Christ. Paul addresses this. Look there in verse 5. He asks the question, who is Paul and who is Apollos? Now, to you and I, we may not quite understand exactly what Paul is driving out here, but it's important to remember that Paul and Apollos were two of the greatest and most renowned preachers in the Christian community at that time. Everybody knew who Paul was. Everybody had heard about Apollos because Apollos, we're told, was a very eloquent man. And both of these men had been at Corinth, but they had influenced many of the other believers that were across the known world. So people knew who Paul was and people knew who Apollos was. They were, if we want to put it this way, the two big name preachers of their day. And, and, and Paul says this, who is Paul really? And who is Apollos, really? I mean, in God's economy, even though these men had been greatly blessed by God, and even though they had great abilities and they were used by God, Paul recognized something about himself and Apollos, and that was that really, in Christ, we are all the same. There there is a sameness. Um, It's important, in verse 5, that Paul does not take the opportunity to exalt himself over Apollos. He might have been able to say, because after all, he had seen, had he not, the resurrected Christ. Evidently, Apollos had not. Uh, He was one who was called an apostle, as of one that was born out of due time. Apollos evidently was not. Uh, Paul had established the church at Corinth. Apollos had not. Apollos had come later. Uh, uh, Paul had taught and instructed many people in the ways of the Lord. And Apollos 
had been instructed by Aquila and Priscilla more perfectly in the ways of the Lord. And so Paul could have taken this occasion to try to exalt himself, and yet Paul understood that he did not find his identity in the things that he had accomplished or the things that he had received. His identity was in Christ. This is important for you and I because many times, especially the men who are here, we are tempted to find identity in our accomplishments, uh, in our, the, the, the amount of work that we can produce or the things that we can get done and, and the quality of our work, if you will. But if we're not careful, when we find our identity in these things, we'll find that that is shifting sand, that that is a very dangerous place to find your meaning in life. We need to stake our identity to something that is more sure. So Paul is careful here to say, you know, let's make sure that we find our identity in Christ. He asks the question, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. The word minister that is used there has as one of its meanings the idea of a servant who brings food to the table. It's uh, what we would identify today as uh, a waiter or a waitress, someone who comes and uh, we sit down at the restaurant, they come and take our order, and then hopefully they bring what we ordered and we get to eat that. You see, the, the minister or the table waiter is the one that is serving the food. You probably, if you go to a restaurant and you get a good meal, you don't probably say to the waiter or the waitress, that was some great cooking, you did a great job back there. Because why? Well, they just go to the kitchen and they bring the food out to you and they deliver it. Now, you might compliment them on the way that they serve the meal, on, the, on their attentive, attentiveness to your needs. But you understand that somebody in the kitchen is cooking and somebody is delivering that food. So understand this. Paul says this about himself and about Apollos. We're just the guys who are bringing the food to the table. We're just the ones who are delivering the goods And uh, all we are, we're just ministers. Now, this is important because what Paul is telling us is something about ourselves. We are nothing more than ministers in the work of the Lord. A minister is not a Lord over the heritage of God, which is why in the epistles we are warned, those of us who are pastors, we are warned not to become lords over God's heritage. This is This is, uh, you know, the church, the New Testament church does not belong to the pastor. I try to be careful uh, when I speak about Lehigh Valley Baptist Church not to call it my church. And, and you know, it could be that I might call it my church in the sense that I belong there and I'm a member there and I worship there and I serve there. But sometimes a pastor can get the idea, that's my church, like that's that's where I pastor and those people belong to me. And the truth of the matter is, it's the Lord's church. And the pastor is just a minister. He's a servant of the Lord. Literally, he is a servant who delivers a message. The message belongs to God, and the servant delivers the message. Even the spiritual gifts, which enable a man to be used of the Lord, should bring glory to God and not to the man who has been gifted by the Lord. We have to be so careful that the glory goes to God because God is the one who gifts. God is the one who allows that individual to serve him in that way. And God requires his stewards, his ministers, to be faithful. Do you know that's the only thing that God really requires? He 
He desires his ministers to be faithful. It's a temptation in the, in the work of the ministry to sometimes long for a more notable place or a, a place where maybe it's a little larger influence or where there's more people or something like that. And, and yet we just need to be reminded that God calls men and he puts them in a place and he says, now I want you to be faithful in the place where I have put you. Paul appreciated this and he was reminding us of the fact that our identity is found in God. You know, in in American Christianity, we have a little bit of a problem in that we tend to evaluate people's value by what they can produce, by what they can bring forth. And, And sometimes, for instance, we are evaluating how much can they give or how much can they serve or how much can they contribute to the work of the ministry. And yet, I believe that we'll find out one day when we get to heaven that some of the most valuable members of churches were people who were very poor materially, people who were unable to contribute because of maybe some physical disability or sickness or advanced age. They were unable to contribute much time or energy to the work of the ministry, but perhaps they were faithful in the place that God gave them. Some of the most effectual servants of the Lord are people that you never knew how busy they were in prayer. You never knew how busy they were in the work of the Lord, but they were just faithful doing what God gave them to do. Uh, He reminds us in verse 5 that the ministry that he and Apollos had, even as the Lord gave to every man. It's the idea that their, their ministry was something that God had given to them. God can use any man for his glory. I'm, I'm, More and more, I'm reminded of this. God can work any way he wants, and he often uses people that we least expect him to use. It's amazing how God works. And I think sometimes he does that just to remind us that he doesn't really need us, but he wants to involve us in his work. And uh, that's a good reminder that every one of us needs to take heed to. Paul was careful to find his identity in his relationship with the Lord and not in what he did for Christ. Now listen to me carefully. In our society and in our culture, we tend to find our value in what we can accomplish and in what we can do. And if we're not careful, we tend to rate the strength of our relationship with God based on what we are doing for God. That's a very dangerous thing. You need to understand this this, this afternoon, I want to say this morning, but I know it's not this morning. God loves you and accepts you on the basis of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice in your place. There is nothing that you can do in, in performing, in, in working, that will make him love you more than he already does. Do you understand that? And even if you fail, he doesn't stop loving you. Because his acceptance of you is based upon Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that our fellowship with him can be broken. That's not because God has rejected us. It's because we've turned away from God. And that's why we need to confess our sin and forsake it. And he will forgive us our sin and restore us to himself. But see, there's a fundamental difference that that people have in their mind. Oftentimes, they are equating their acceptance with God based on how hard they work. And and really, this is no different than what the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing. 
You see, when you go out on a Saturday and you see the Jehovah's Witnesses out in a neighborhood and they're knocking doors and talking to people, and I've even heard independent Baptists say, I really admire their faithfulness and their, their dedication. Well, there's a reason they're that faithful and they're that dedicated because they're trying to earn God's favor. They're trying to get to a place where God will finally accept them. In their mind, God is a taskmaster, and they have to keep on doing that in order to serve him. I don't admire that. I feel sad for them because they haven't found the acceptance that there is in Christ. Now, I'm not arguing that we should serve less or that we should not be devoted to the Lord. I'm just saying we ought to check our motives and make sure that our identity is found in Christ, not in how hard we're working or how much we're, we're producing for the kingdom of God. So your identity is found in God. That's one of the first laws of spiritual work. By the way, I think that's one of the things that helped men like Adoniram Judson keep an even keel while laboring in an extremely difficult mission field. It was eight years before he saw his first convert on the mission field. That was a long and tedious work, and we have men who are laboring actually in that same part of the world, and it is still a long and tedious work there. It, it takes a long time to learn the language. It takes a long time. Your, your uh, missionary, Brother Francis, you know, he's, he's identifying with this. The, the, the mindset of that part of the world is so different. The, the communicating the gospel to them takes a lot of homework and understanding the way they think and trying to get inside their head and be able to present the gospel to them. And if you're not careful in in laboring in that kind of a place, you can start to look around and see other missionaries who seem to be having so much more success and feel like, man, I'm a failure. I'm just not accomplishing enough. That's why we have to be careful to find our identity in Christ and not in what we're producing. Second thought. In verse 6 and 7, we find in the laws of spiritual work, that increase comes by the hand of the Lord. Increase comes by the hand of the Lord. Verse 6, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. What What is Paul saying here? Well, if there's increase, that increase comes by the hand of the Lord. I, I find that, and it seems to be true at the church at Corinth, that they were arguing a little bit over who was more productive. Is Paul more productive? Is Apollos more productive? Maybe they they had a little bit of a different style. Apollos, because he was somewhat of an orator, and he was eloquent, and he could hold people's attention when he spoke. Paul, because he had a logical mind, and he he could uh, put together strong arguments and persuade men. And uh, maybe they were going back and forth about, well, whose ministry is more productive and who has the best methods that are blessed of God. And, and uh, there's a lot of this kind of discussion even today. You know, who's got the best methods and, and uh, you know, what school of soul winning did you go to, to and how did you learn and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of that stuff is nothing more than just salesmanship tactics that are rebranded in the Christian world and telling people how to convince people to do something that they don't want to do. And that's not conversion in the first place. Conversion is something that God has to do. But what do we do as believers? Well, we need to understand that increase comes by the hand of the Lord. Paul was clear to point out that there was a difference between Paul and Apollos. They did things differently, 
But there wasn't like, okay, Team Paul is doing it better or Team Apollos is doing it better. It's just this idea that God is using both of them to do the work of the Lord. It's very important for us to understand that. If we're not careful, we will start to claim spiritual fruit as that's my responsibility. Hey, I preached and that person got saved. I shared the gospel and that person got saved. I must have some kind of a special formula for how to, how to get people saved. No, chances are you just happen to be at the right place at the right time and you were privileged to see God work in that person's life because increase really comes by the hand of the Lord. Now, there are things that we can take responsibility for. Clearly, there are things that we are supposed to do. There's planting and there's watering, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it is God who gives the increase. It's kind of like planting a garden. And there's things that you can do, and then there's things that you can only hope get done. Like the germination of the seed and and the seed actually sprouting and, and bringing life. And then... The, the plant bringing forth some kind of fruit uh, so that you can enjoy that. I mean, all those things. And then you're hoping that the deer stay out of your garden and that the rabbits don't eat it all. And that's one of the problems I have. This last year, you're hoping that it stops raining long enough for things to actually bloom and grow and not just rot on the, on the plant. And we had so much rain this year that most of our garden just rotted away. There's a lot of things I was, I was telling your pastor if I had to depend on what I could grow to eat, I would be a very hungry man. And I'm very thankful for stores that sell food because I'm not much of a farmer. Uh, you know, the truth of the matter is that when you do farming, when you do physical farming, you're dependent on God to give an increase. And also when you do spiritual farming, you are dependent upon God to give an increase. The work of the Lord is something that you and I cannot take credit for. We need to be careful that all the glory for any spiritual increase is going to go to God himself and not to those who are delivering the message. And this is a temptation. We have to be careful. You know, somebody gets saved and it was partly because of your involvement in their life. And after a while, you're kind of tempted to start, hey, you know, I'm some kind of a Christian. I'm quite a soul winner. I can really, I can really win some people to the Lord. And that's not really productive thinking because at the end of the day, you're just a tool that God was using and it's God who should get all the glory for that person getting saved. So that's the second thought is that increase comes by the hand of the Lord. I'm reminded of this when I think about our church. There's a lot of talk about church growth and growing a church and getting a church bigger and seeing more people come. And here's what I try to remind myself of frequently it's the Lord's church, and he will build it. That's his responsibility. I have a responsibility, but my responsibility is not to grow the church. My responsibility is to teach and preach the word of God. It is to edify the body. It is to strengthen the membership. It is to be involved in doing the work of the evangelist, but ultimately, it is God who does the work of building and growing the church. Increase comes by the hand of the Lord, third of all. Verse number 8. Spiritual work is done as a team. Now, all these laws fit together. But notice there in verse 8, he says this, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, 
And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now imagine. Imagine if we had a garden, and we do every year. I'm not sure why we do, but every year we have a garden. And some years we get something out of it. And imagine if I went out at the beginning of the year and planted the seed. And then my wife did all of the watering through the year to make sure that it was properly watered and ready to go. And she did the weeding. And then when it was harvest time, I went out and I picked the harvest and I brought it into the house. And she said, oh, good. I'm looking forward to having some green beans. And I said, no, you're not. You're not having any of them. I planted these seeds. Now, we would have a problem, wouldn't we? Why? Because I'm trying to take credit for the whole process and ownership of it when she participated. Here's something I want you to understand. I have yet to find a person who got saved because of one person. Every testimony that I have ever heard has involved multiple touches of people that were responsible ultimately as a team for bringing that person to the Lord. Now, those persons may may not have even known each other. They may not have even been aware that the other person was working or that God was using that other person. In some cases, God even uses people who are unsaved to have a part in challenging that person's thinking, and then they come to Christ. We have this this, uh, acquaintance, this fellow that we know, and in his life, I mean, he lived a horribly wicked life. And one one night he was in a bar, and he, you know, he was drunk and doing drugs and all kinds of other stuff, and a prostitute came up to him and gave him a gospel tract and said, here, looks like you need to read this, and walked away. Now, she meant it as a joke and a mockery, and somebody had probably given it to her along the way. He kept it. And when he sobered up, he read it. And God started working in his life, and at down the road, he came to Christ. He now is involved in going around telling everybody about the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's part of his testimony. Now, I doubt if she wanted to be part of a team to bring him to Christ, but the Lord used that. The Lord used a piece of paper that somebody had given to her that she, in jest, shoved in his face, and he kept it, and God worked in his life. I'm reminded, we have a fellow in our church, he's, he's fairly new to our church, has been coming there for a while now, and, and got baptized and so on a couple years ago. And his story, I mean, there's more to it than this, but several years ago, he went into Dunkin' Donuts near our church. And one of our girls was working there, and, and she invited him to come to our Christmas program. And he was looking for something to do with his family around Christmas time. He came to our Christmas program. He visited a couple of special services through the years. You know, it just kind of slipped in, slipped out. I never even met him. And then never came back. And then now fast forward several years, and he starts going through some turmoil in his life. He doesn't know where to turn. He says, you know what? I visited that church before. I think I'll go back there. And he showed up on a Sunday morning. He filled out a little communication card that we have in the back of our, our uh, seats. And we asked people if, they're, if they need some spiritual help to fill that out. He filled it out and put his information on there. And... Uh, and, and the next week I contacted him and he said, I've filled out those cards in all kinds of churches and I've never had a pastor actually contact me. I said, well, let's get together and let's talk. You know, one thing led to another. 
I did a Bible study with Michael. We, we studied the scriptures. He realized that he had never been genuinely saved. He repented of his sins. He believed on Christ. He got scripturally baptized. He's a member of our church. Now, I could say, well, I did the Bible study with him. You know, I get credit for that. Well, what about that, what about that young lady who invited him? What about the people who spoke to him when he came to the services and were friendly and invited him to come back? What about all those people who were involved? See, I couldn't say I get the credit for that. That's the work of God. And when people get saved, it's, it's a team effort. Here's something that we've come to realize at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. Sometimes people will invite other people to come so that they can hear the preaching. And I think they have this idea. If they come and they hear my pastor preach, they're going to get saved because my pastor can really preach the gospel and they're, they're going to hear the gospel straight and they're going to hear it clear and they're going to get saved. You know what's so embarrassing to me is we have people in our church who attended for years and never got saved. And I do preach the gospel a lot. I like to think I make it pretty plain. I, I pray and ask God to work through the preaching but, you know, for whatever reason, sitting in the audience in a group of people, it just never connected. I'm thinking of one older man. He attended our church for a couple of years, heard the gospel. I can't even think of how many times he must have heard the gospel. And it went in one ear and out the other, and it never connected with him. But then one of our men went to him and said, Hey, Richard, have you ever thought about doing a Bible study? And I'm telling you, he was there every Sunday morning. And he said, Oh, sure, I'll do a Bible study. And so... They sat down and they started studying the scriptures together and he was Roman Catholic, but he had just started coming to our church and he was attending regularly. He started studying the scripture and all of a sudden in that one-on-one -on -one conversation, the word of God is getting applied in his life and he's thinking about it. And at the end of that Bible study, he said, I've never been born again. I've, I've gone to church all my life, but I've never, been, I've never been changed like that. I don't have a relationship with God. And he repented of his sin, and he believed the gospel, and he got saved. And a little while later, he got scripturally baptized. In his 80s, he got scripturally baptized. Praise the Lord. He's still coming to our church. He's still a faithful member in, in, in his advanced years. You know, that's what I mean. Like, we think that just one person, the pastor, the missionary, uh, this person, that person, they're going to be the ones who do the work. We find that if people are going to get saved, it's going to be because everybody is involved as a team. This church, Lighthouse Baptist Church, you are a team to preach the gospel together. You are a team to work together to, for the proclamation of the gospel. Spiritual work is done as a team. Uh, some things that have to have to do with this that I'll just throw out there. You ought to respect your pastor, but don't idolize your pastor. You know, the truth of the matter is, the ministry of this church does not rise and fall on your pastor. He has an important responsibility. He has an important calling in his life, and you ought to support him in that. But at the end of the day, this is the Lord's church, and God wants to use all of you together to do the work of the Lord. The second thing about that, don't expect the pastor to do everything. Understand that because of your responsibility, you have contacts for evangelism that the pastor will never have. There are people that you will talk to about the gospel that the pastor will never talk to. I, I find this. Now, there are times when being a pastor opens doors of opportunity, and there are times when being a pastor closes doors of opportunity. There are times when people ask me, so what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And you can see the look come in their face like, oh, oh my word, he's from another planet. He's got to be one of those pastors. Oh, no, I don't want to talk to him. And, and they just, ah, 
Now, if they're talking with somebody else who says, oh, I'm a carpenter or I'm, a, I'm an auto mechanic or something like that, that didn't shut the door. Now they're going to have an open door of communication. Other times, people find out I'm a pastor and they're like, oh, I've been wondering about this question about the Bible. Can I ask you a question? I'm always curious about this. Wonderful. Okay, that's a great opportunity. But see how God uses different people to connect with other people. You have opportunities to witness to people that other people in the church never will have an opportunity. But then we also get this idea that sometimes we get possessive of the people that we're working with, and that drives me crazy. Sometimes people think, they're like, well, I'm doing a Bible study with that person. Don't you be talking to them. Here's what I hope. I hope that when somebody's doing a Bible study in our church, that everyone in the church is talking to them and saying, so where are you at? You know, we're praying for you. Have you gotten saved yet? Do you, do you know the Lord? Uh, ha- have you repented of your sin? I hope that everybody's involved in that because we're a team. We work together in that. So let me ask you this question. Are you content to be a planter? If God just wanted you to be someone who planted a lot of seeds, I mentioned Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson in his ministry was primarily a planter. And what's really interesting, and I was in Myanmar, uh, used to be called Burma, now it's Myanmar. I was in Myanmar a couple of years ago. And what is really incredible is that even though Adoniram Judson never really saw the breadth of his ministry, his ministry from the 1800s is still impacting Myanmar today. So we met people whose ancestors, their forefathers got saved as a result of Adoniram Judson's ministry. And they are still Christians. You know, they've trusted Christ and they've been saved. And they tie their heritage back to him. So when he died, he didn't necessarily see all that God was going to do. He was a planter, but God has carried that forward. That Bible that he translated is so Uh, it's been retypeset, actually, and our missionary brother, Nat Williams, has been helping to get that into the country. So he sends the printing ministries from here, send that over. He gets that that cases of those Bibles. He lives right on the border. And men from Burma come across the river, and they take back cases of the Bible, and they hand them out to people, thousands and thousands of copies. That's Adoniram Judson's work from from 150 years ago that is still bearing fruit. You think about that, and that's incredible. Are you content to be a planter? Are you content to just be a waterer of the seed, to to take your opportunities to water the seed? What does this look like? Well, oftentimes, you're going to see people who have spiritual interest, and you might say something to them. You might uh, ask them a spiritual question. You might share your testimony. You might uh, somehow water that seed and, and... and, and never know what came of it. Never know what happened. I'm convinced of this. There's many times that people get saved down the road and we had a part in it, but we didn't know that they ever got saved because maybe they, you know, we'd never had touch with them. If we, if we have this thinking, well, if anybody really gets saved, then they're going to come to our church. No. No, it's not going to work that way. See, the work of God is much broader than that. The work of God is something, I, and, and I tell our, our church family a lot, we're not so concerned with building a church. We're concerned with building the kingdom of God. We're just going to go out there and preach the gospel. And, of course, we want to see churches established. Of course, we want to see people discipled. But sometimes we're going to share the gospel with people that we're never going to see again in this life. 
Who knows what God will do with that? Are you content to be a waterer of the seed? See, the reason many Christians are not involved in evangelism is because they don't get enough recognition and credit. And it's sad because it really reveals the motivation for their service. They say, well, I, if I don't know what really is happening, then, then uh, I, I just can't feel enough satisfaction. You ought to just be faithful with what God asks you to do. Paul here seems to be addressing the fact that the work in Corinth had come to a halt because the church at Corinth was no longer working together as a team. They had made the preaching of the gospel like some kind of a competition between who is better and who is on the right team. It's really important that in a church ministry, all the members are working together with the same goal in mind. Let's proclaim Christ. let's, Let's give glory to God. It's not a competition to see who can get the most recognition or or who gets mentioned the most or who gets the limelight. It's teamwork. If you know much about playing on a team, you, you know that there's members of the team that don't get a lot of credit, but they're really important, really important. You, you could play on a football team, and there might be a couple of star players who are really good, and they get all the attention, but you know they couldn't even do their job if the other members of the team weren't doing their job. They may not be famous. They may not be that notable, but they're important in the work of the Lord, just the same in a New Testament church. Spiritual work is done as a team. We ought to pray oftentimes. By the way, this is a great way to pray for people that you you would like to see them saved, is ask God to bring people into their life to speak to them about Christ, to water the seed that has been planted. Maybe you have some family members this happens sometimes. You, get, you sometimes get to the place where you have some family members who will not let you talk to them anymore about Christ. Maybe you have used up your relationship capital with them, and they see you coming, and they're like, nope, nope, don't even start. I don't want to hear about it. We can talk about the garden. We can talk about baseball. We can talk about the weather, but we are not talking about the gospel. You, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you have some people like that. You say, what do I do? Well, one thing you can do is pray that God will bring some people in to water the seed. Maybe God would bring a coworker or someone just across their path. Can God do that? Absolutely God does that. God works in that way, and we need to pray that God will bring people across their path to water the seed, to see the, the, the seed grow, and for God to continue doing a work in their life. All right, so first law, your identity is found in Christ, not in what you accomplish. Second law, increase comes by the hand of the Lord. Third law, spiritual work is done as a team. We work together as a team. Fourth law, and then I'm done. Rewards for spiritual work are given by God. Rewards for spiritual work are given by God. Now, I think it's important to recognize people's service, but I'm not fond of the idea of giving out soul-winning awards or recognizing the people who, whatever, you know. I I don't think that's really wise. Why? Because God's going to give the rewards. God is the one, and he speaks about this in verse 8. He says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. What does that mean? Well, we, we note several things about the rewards for spiritual work. First of all, we see that rewards are given in relation to the work that is done by the individual. Now, this doesn't negate what we said earlier. Spiritual work is done as a team, 
but God keeps track of the individual statistics. Isn't that a comfort to you? Do you know that when somebody gets saved, God saw every touch? God saw every person that planted, every person that watered, every person that pulled a weed, every person that prayed. God saw every single one that had a part in that person coming to Christ, and God is, God is going to give a reward to individuals. Now, there's a reason that you and I are not tasked with giving out those rewards, because we can't see the heart. But God sees the heart. And God never fails to keep track. It is God who is giving the rewards. It is God who is keeping the records. And the rewards that are mentioned in verse number 8, the reward that we will receive according to our own labor, is a reward that is an eternal reward. Every once in a while at our church, we'll recognize some, some folks who have served the Lord. Here recently, and, and we're blessed at, uh, at Lehigh Valley Baptist. God's been good to us. We celebrated last year our 40th anniversary since the founding of our church. And we've been through some stormy days and had some difficulties along the way. But uh, this last year, we recognized a couple of our folks who have been there. My parents were one of them, and Gary and Michelle Kastner were another. They're missionaries out of our church in Botswana. And both of those families have been at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church for 30 years. And so we recognized their service for 30 years. And we gave them a little plaque, you know, and, and, uh, and appreciated their service. But at the end of the day, that's just an earthly reward, isn't it? It's something that they're going to take, and if they keep it, they'll put it on a shelf somewhere. And someday at, when they die, somebody will look at it and say, oh, that's nice. Should we keep it? Should we send it to the junkyard? Should we give it to the auction house? Like, what do we do with this thing? You know what I'm talking about? Because it's an earthly reward. But rewards that God gives are eternal. Those rewards are really lasting. Those are the rewards that, at the end of the day, really matter. We have to be careful that we are not doing our service for the Lord for earthly rewards. That, that we're not, like Jesus talked about, you know, when you give your alms, don't go out on the street and say, oh, everybody, I'm getting ready to give my offering. want you to see it. Hey, I'm getting ready to pray. I need to let everybody know what I'm doing. No, don't do that. Because that means you've received your reward. The, the applause of men, that's the, that's the temporal reward. But the reward that God gives is an eternal reward. It's a reward that is long-lasting. So when we think about what Paul accomplished, and it's really remarkable in, in the city of Corinth, there was something remarkable that God did through Paul. He went to a heathen city, he preached the gospel, and in a short time, 18 months, a church was founded. And we say, well, it wasn't much of a church. They had a lot of problems. They did have a lot of problems, but it was a church. And it was a church that had an impact on some other parts of the world. And, and that was remarkable that God was able to work in that way. But Paul wanted to make sure that God got all the credit, that God got all the glory. And, and that brings us now to some concluding thoughts. Today, as you think about your life, are you personally involved in the work of evangelism? Can you think back in your life, who's the, first, who's the last person that I handed a gospel tract to? Who's the last person that I spoke to and challenged them about their need to be born again? 
Who's the last person that I did a Bible study with? Are you involved in the work of evangelism? Let me say this. If you're not involved, who will be? You see, that's each of our responsibility. Are you planting the seed? Are you watering the seed? Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this later in the week. I think sometimes we just have unrealistic expectations. And so we have this idea. I'm not going to share the gospel unless I know that I can go all the way from the law to the cross with them in a conversation. It's just not worth it unless I can give them the whole bucket load of gospel truth. And so if I don't know that that can happen, then I'm just not even going to try. That's a really unrealistic expectation. Because most of the time what happens is we have very brief conversations with people and we have an opportunity just to water the seed a little bit. We're not dumping the whole bucket load of truth on them. We might just ask them an eternal question. We might just notice something or say, I'm praying for you in this situation that you're dealing with, etc., etc., and God might use that. Now, I don't want that to be a cop-out for us for not sharing the gospel when we get the chance, but I think realistically, most of the time, the gospel conversations, especially in our fast-paced culture, You think about the conversations you tend to have with people. Are they really long, extended monologues? Probably not, unless you're the boss and you can make them sit there and listen to you. Most of the time, you're getting just little snippets of time with people and you just have a moment to say something to point them to the Savior. And we have to be really purposeful about that. Are you planting the seed? Are you watering the seed? And are you trusting God to give the increase? Because the Bible says he's the one who gives the increase. Or have you allowed carnal thinking about rewards and and overly exalting men to get in the way of you personally serving the Lord? See, I know this about Lighthouse Baptist Church. It is God's will for every single member of this church to be involved in the process of planting and watering the gospel seed. God wants to use every one of you in a special way, and he wants to use all of you together as a team to impact not just this town and the surrounding region, but to take the gospel to all the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth. God wants to do that through you. And that involves each of you being willing to play your part. What a privilege it is to be a part of God's work. To be able to see that God is working And then know that God is inviting us to be a part of what he is up to. It's exciting. There's nothing like it. I'm I'm hoping to share some more illustrations and stories with you later this week of some of the things that, that I've seen that God has blessed us with. But I want you to leave here today with this assurance. God is at work, and he is inviting you to be a part of the work that he is doing in this world.